So we know that God's word speaks a lot about friendship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. That is basically letting us know that, that brothers, that those are, that part of our family, that they are sure to be there in a crisis, that they'll come to us in a crisis. But oftentimes, because of situations and circumstances, our friends or our family move away, but we establish friendships in whatever community that, that we're living in. And, and Christ's church is the, a community that the Lord wants us to engage in life with one another. And so as such, we should find friends in Christ's church. And we should build those relationships. And as those relationships are built and as friendships are established, that is a testimony to the outside world. I stumbled upon a story this week about Mr. Sam Rayburn, who was the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives longer than any other man in our nation's history. And what is told about him gives us a very good sneak peek into his heart and into his life. And I want to share that with us because I believe that we need more men like this in government. We need more believers like this in Christ's church looking after one another. The teenage daughter of a friend of his, of Mr. Sam Rayburn, had died suddenly one night. And early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door, and when he opened it, there was Mr. Rayburn standing outside. The speaker said, I, I just came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep, deep grief, oh, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We're making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had your coffee this morning? The man replied that he had not taken time for breakfast, so Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. While he was working in the kitchen, the man came in and said, Now, Mr. Speaker, I thought that you were supposed to be having breakfast at the, at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Mr. Rayburn said, but I called the president, and I told him I had a friend who was in trouble, and I couldn't come. Making others a priority. Are, are you good at that? Does that challenge you with this account from Mr. Rayburn? Stopping everything, even eating a breakfast with the President of the United States in order to minister to his friend who had just suffered this terrible, terrible loss. Being intentional about building deeper friendships. Even making sure that, that you have friends, that you're not isolating yourself. These are all things that we're going to see this morning. So turn with me. Instead of 2 Timothy, let's start in 2 Corinthians this morning. For I want us to see that this wasn't just a, a one-off thing that the Apostle Paul comes up with. This was something that the Apostle Paul learned early on in his life. The value or the high value of godly friendships and the impact that we can have on one another and how we so desperately need them why because we were created in the image of 
God, right? And as such, we are relational beings. We were not created to live on an island all by ourselves as much as at times we might want to escape the reality of others. Others are good for us. They help spur us on towards love and good deeds and becoming more and more like Christ in one of God's gracious acts towards us and allowing us not to be conformed to this world but to live soberly, godly, and righteously in this present age is to gift us with friends. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 5, and we'll just go to verse 7. And remember, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, to a church that was just full of trouble. All sorts of disunity, all sorts of disharmony. So he writes him his first letter, basically calling for them to repent and to turn to the Lord in all sorts of different areas. And then pens the second letter, basically saying, giving thanksgiving to God for what they had done after receiving the letters for even when we came into macedonia and macedonia is philippi and thessalonica we know from the book of acts that paul ran into all sorts of problems even though beginning they responded well then all of a sudden turn things turned south in both of those places we came into macedonia our flesh had no rest but we were afflicted on every side conflicts without fears within but god who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of who? Titus. And not only by his coming, notice this works both ways. Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. As he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So he rejoiced in just having Titus come, but then as Titus gave news of how things were going in Corinth and how they had responded to the word, what happens? Then his joy fills up even more. You see, we can play a significant, a huge impact in each other's lives. The question looming in all of this is, do you make it a priority? Do you recognize how easy it would have been for Paul to just say, I'm good. I'm alone with Jesus, and that's enough for me. Okay, yes, this present situation is lame, but I'm so filled with hope and joy of what I'm about to depart to, or better yet, whom I'm about to depart to, that he just says, you know what, I'm I'm not going to worry about anything else. But instead of doing that, what we are going to see this morning, and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, as we are going to see very clearly that the Apostle Paul valued godly friendships. That he initiated interaction with his friends. That there no doubt is an element of loneliness presented to us here. But that doesn't define who Paul is. He's not depressed. That is not the picture that we see presented to us at all in 2 Timothy. He is full of joy and eager expectation over what is about to happen as he leaves this world and departs to be with Jesus face to face. He's waiting. He's excited. He can't wait for that to happen. But he also recognizes, man, he's alone and he needs friends 
And Paul has learned the vital lesson that ministry is never done alone. That the Lord doesn't call us into fellowship just with Him and you. But others are involved, His church, His body. And that God in His grace just blesses us with friends. And so look at what the Apostle Paul says. Verses 9 to 15. Make every effort to come to me soon. Speaking directly to Timothy. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Let me pray once again. Heavenly Father, I don't want to be the teacher this morning. Some of the things that we're going to look at this morning might be difficult for some of us to wrap our our heads around, our arms around, Lord. I don't want this to be an intellectual ascent. I want you to speak to hearts. Lord, through our relationship with you, we we have been granted life. We have been taken out of death, out of darkness, into light, into life, eternal life with you. And we should be all about spending time in your word to know you better, but we should also recognize that we have been brought into a relationship with you, a friendship that requires us to spend time with you. And also, may we understand the significance of the part that you want others to play in our lives and the part that you want us to play in others. So teach us this morning through your word, through these these last verses of the Apostle Paul and how of all the things that he would turn to at the end, that he gives a vivid depiction of his friends and his enemy. Thank you for friends, and may you be honored and glorified, and may you teach us through your Holy Spirit in your all-sufficient, inspired, and oh-so-powerful word this morning. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So I believe what we see here isn't some sort of sense of depression on the side of Paul. What we see is a joyful expectation, a sense of urgency, To where he recognizes, yes, I want Timothy to come because friends are valuable to me. And so in this, he is reminding us all the importance of others in our lives. That tough times require friends who will stick with us through the the thick and the thin. That Paul needed friends and the fellowship that they bring, just as you and I do. That, that Paul isn't trying to live in, a, in an isolated world even though he has been isolated. He's actually not good with things the way that they are being all alone. 
And so he's orchestrating what needs to happen in order to bring some of his friends to him. As difficult as that might be for them, he's not giving them a choice. And what we see first, and what we're going to see are four different ways in which Paul emphasizes this, the high value of godly friendships, is it's not good to be without friends. And when I say friends, let me just say I am speaking of godly friends. Those that the Lord wants to use in our lives to spur us on towards love and good deeds. To being more like Him. That He wants to use to refine us, to shape us, to shape us more and more into His image and to sharpen us. And yes, that means at times difficult situations, difficult conversations. But all with the idea of becoming more and more like Christ. And Paul, that's what he wants, even as he is approaching death. And so what does he do? He reaches out first in this way. It's not good to be without friends. He says, come to me. And he's speaking to Timothy. Make every effort to come to me soon. Make every effort isn't the best translation. What that word literally means is you come with haste. Come quickly. And then he reiterates it at the end with with the adverb of come to me when? Soon. So, So we could have translated this as come very quickly, soon, here, now. That that's the idea. Don't wait any longer, Timothy. You see, what's going to happen is is as it approaches winter, all of the transportation will stop. The boats will stop sailing. And so Paul recognizes, man, this has to happen within a certain amount of time. And he doesn't want to stay alone. And what we'll see is he's not even alone. He's with Luke. And yet he says, man, it's, it's needful that you come to me. And so he commands Timothy, hey, come and come quickly. Come to me soon. Hurry up. And, and there's actually an idea of eagerness and, and, and be eager to come and join me. Not thinking about what it might cost you. Not even assessing which ministry might seem to you more important because what Timothy was doing in Ephesus was indeed huge. It was significant. It was important. And there might be a point where where Timothy might be like me and go, well, I'm not sure if it's really worth it. I'm going to travel all that way only to possibly have Paul die within a couple weeks. Now, it's more needful for me to stay here for the Ephesian church, but that isn't what Paul says. And so, in essence, that isn't what the Lord says. The Lord says, no, you come to me, and you come to me soon. And we see that he's not only dealing with his own loneliness in this, but he's passing off the baton. And in this, he's teaching Timothy the value of friendships, the value of companions in arms, so to speak, that, that Timothy isn't supposed to think of himself as a lone ranger. And this is the Christian life. And you shouldn't think of yourself like that either. Paul is saying, even though I may only get a couple more week, weeks with you, please come. I want to spend time with you, my friend, because I love you. And I know that you love me. And this is what mutual edification is within a friendship. 
You know, Paul could have been perfectly content just leaving everything the way that it was and just holding off by himself until he passed, which was for him was to jump into something much better. But turn with me to Philippians. Let's get a little better heart beat on exactly what Paul thought of Timothy, his young son in the faith. I would say in Paul's life, there were two people that weren't, couldn't be closer to him than anybody else but these two. On the one hand, his young son in the faith, Timothy, whom Paul groomed, who Paul discipled, who Paul mentored all of his days. And then on the other hand, I would say Luke. But he also calls Titus his son in the faith. I believe that Paul had lots of friends, companions that he served alongside with, arm to arm, hand in hand recognizing their gifts and being encouraged through them. But look at this, what it says in Philippians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. This is the kind of man Timothy had come to be. Through the Lord working in his heart, in his life. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to do what? To send Timothy to you shortly to the Philippian church, to the believers in Philippi, hey, it would be good for me to send him to you. Why? So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition because I know he's going to come back and he's going to tell me how you guys are doing. For I have no one else, listen to this, of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. There's nobody else quite like me like him. That we're made of the same cookie dough, so to speak. That, that's, that's, that's Timothy. He, he, he's, he's me. We have, we have a kindred spirit. We, we have the same kind of missional philosophy. We're all about people. And I know that he, would, he will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Because he's proven himself. For, for they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ. Implied, but not Timothy. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That, that's how tight Paul and Timothy were. That was what Paul thought of Timothy. So, of course, he, he wants to bring him to himself. And in this, we notice some things. We notice first that Paul recognized that he was not indispensable. That although he was the chosen apostle by the Lord, he recognized that the Lord was going to have to fill his gap with someone. That if his ministry was going to continue on, it couldn't be his own ministry. It had to be the Lord's ministry. And so as such, what? He's more than willing to hand off the baton to Timothy. And we should all think about serving the Lord in that light. That what we are to do is to be faithful until the Lord calls us on to something new. And if the Lord wants that, whatever we were doing before, to continue on, he will bring about someone to take your place. Because it's not so much about you as it is about the Lord, right? And that's what we see with Paul. We also see this other aspect of, of what Christ-like love looks like. If your love is like Christ, then you know what? You don't think about yourself. You think about others. Timothy doesn't have time to respond to Paul in a letter and say, well, are you sure? 
It's a long way. And I'm kind of busy. I got lots of stuff going on. No, first and foremost, who is he concerned with? He is concerned with Paul. He likewise wants to be a blessing to Paul. Why? Because they are deep friends. Their lives have been intertwined with one another for so long. No doubt that as Timothy considered this, he was as excited and determined to see Paul as Paul was to see Timothy. And this is what an agape kind of love looks like. It's an others-focused love. And this is why we should not neglect having friends that we should not be in a place where we are all by ourselves that it is not good to be without friends just as paul is desiring to have timothy and what we'll see is not just timothy he wants others to come as well and we could look at so many examples that the lord blesses us with and puts us in a community here at church with fellow believers that by god's grace we become friends with by God's grace, Proverbs 18.22, that he who finds a wife finds what? A good thing. And God's favor is upon you. So those of us that, that are blessed with spouses, that there is your best friend. And so you should intentionally be pouring into that relationship. But the Lord also desires to use you in others' lives. And for Paul, instead of his wife, it was Timothy. It was no doubt Luke. It was Titus. It's the other guys we're going to see this morning that he was investing in and they were investing in him. But if Timothy represents this close, intimate, and totally faithful friend for the Apostle Paul, who we see in verse 10 represents the opposite. Represents a a friend, a close, tight-knit friend, but one who abandons you. One who says, man, it was good up to this point, but then no. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus too, Dalmatia. Who is this man, Demas? It may surprise you that this man, Demas, was part of Paul's ministry team. He was part of his inner circle. This, this was a guy who traveled with Paul and ministered with Paul all over the known world being a fellow missionary alongside the Apostle Paul. He calls him in Philemon 24, a fellow worker of the Lord Jesus Christ and mentions him in line with Mark and Luke. We're we're talking about someone who was a good friend of Paul, but not just to Paul. He was a good friend of Timothy. He was a good friend of Luke. In fact, turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. This is quite remarkable to see who this man Demas was, who he had been, with where he ends up being in 2 Timothy at the end of Paul's life. There was a time where Demas was nothing like what we see pictured in 2 Timothy. Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, look at who is mentioned here and who is sending greetings through the Apostle Paul back to the church, the believers in Colossae, meaning that they had ministered with each other and that they knew him. 
Otherwise, you don't send greetings if you don't know someone. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. A.K.A. also the man that served with me alongside all of you who poured himself into you. To add even more to this, look at verse 10. Who also poured himself into the church in Colossae. Mark. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So who was Demas? He was a follower of Christ. He was a fellow missionary with Paul who served the Lord alongside Paul. It's actually told us that when Paul was in his first imprisonment in Rome, do you know who was there ministering to Paul? Demas. Demas was there. He served alongside him not only in Colossae, but in Ephesus as well. So this man, Demas, we can't think of him as someone that Paul didn't know very well or that Timothy didn't know very well. We need to think of him as one of the men in the inner circle of the inner circle who served alongside with Paul for years and years and years, but then notice how he's characterized. He had this Love of the world. And notice it's the, this present world. Having loved this present world, he deserted Paul. This word, having loved, is the verbal form of the noun agape love, which we tend to look at as a selfless, others-focused love or, or a Christ-like kind of love. It's flipped upside down. Because really what that word means is to take pleasure in above all other things. It's on the priority of, of what matters to you most. This is what you love most. So you can agape something that isn't Christ. You can agape love something that you shouldn't be loving. And that is the case for this man Demas. And it was the world right now that he's living in. That's what this present world means. That somehow he's got his focus off of what is eternal and what is significant. And he's turned his focus now into what is present right before him. And he's bought into it. And he doesn't care about Christ anymore. He doesn't care about Paul. He doesn't care about all the things that he'd been living for up to this point. And just that is significant and powerful and honestly scary. It should be scary for all of us. To think that you could go from that point to this point. But then he says this. He deserted Paul. That, that word for desertion, for deserting, is not just the idea of abandoning. It's got a time focus in it. Meaning that it's talking about somebody deserts you at a specific time. And that specific time is when you, you needed that person most. It's this idea of utterly abandoning someone when they are in the most helpless and dire situation. And actually, it's the same word that Jesus uses upon the cross. In Mark 15, 34, where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Instead of it being translated, why have you deserted me? It's translated, why have you forsaken me? But it's the same word. That is how Paul feels. That right when Paul needed Demas the most in Rome, that what does Demas do? Demas abandons him. Demas leaves. How would you describe Demas? No doubt we could describe him as disappointing Demas. You could describe him as a fair-weathered Christian. I'd say the commentaries are, are, are split on exactly what we are to think of Demas. Whether or not he was a believer or whether or not he was an apostate, meaning he never truly was saved. And this is just the real revealing of his heart that he was never truly redeemed. I believe the context and especially of where he goes next, telling Timothy to bring Mark, should fill us with a little bit more hope than that. Because as we look at the life of Mark, at least in the beginning days, in the beginning stages, what did Mark do? He deserted Paul. He deserted Paul and Barnabas. And so I'm not so quick to stand up here this morning and and stamp and say, oh yes, this is an unbeliever. What I am quick to say is you need to take caution. Each one of us needs to take caution this morning about making sure that we are not beginning and following that road of loving the world. Because do you think that Demas just woke up one morning and said, I'm going to abandon all of this? Listen, I've been on the mission field. I've heard all sorts of reasons why missionaries leave. They'll write something different to all of their supporting churches, but the reason why they left isn't too far from this sometimes. Pastors, they give it up. Why? Oh, because well, what I believed then isn't what I believe now. And actually, I'm just going to renounce all of my faith. That happens. We must continue to seek the Lord. I don't know if we're talking about comfort or exactly what it was that just pulled him, but I could could easily just see him saying, you know what, Paul, it's been good up to this point, but you know what I want now? I want a nice wife, I want a nice life, a nice house. I'm going back home to Thessalonica. This is too much. Perhaps he didn't weigh the cost, but in either case, he is, in either case, he's an example to us of where not to go. And then what is followed after him are examples of those that remained faithful. Those that remained faithful. One is a totally unknown guy. Nobody knows who Crescens is, who Crescens was, but he's mentioned here. So you know who did know? Timothy. I think he was another one of the circle, another one of the friends that had given everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes to Galatia. That's telling, because there were many churches in Galatia. Iconium, Lystra, Derby, all of those churches were in Galatia. So whatever he was doing had to be related to the churches, because that's what Paul was all about. So I think we could look at him as a faithful pastor. Of course, we know much about Titus, right? There's much, much written about Titus. In fact, an entire letter of the Apostle Paul is written to Titus. This, again, is one of his closest friends. 
a, a fellow believer who he looks at much like Timothy, a child of, of, of his faith. And he led him to the Lord. Do you know that his relationship with Titus goes all the way back to Acts 15 and the Jerusalem council, that Titus was there. And that as Paul is heading to Rome, and as he is serving the Lord, even as he is going from one place to the next, going back to Rome, they, they get to Crete. And they get there and Paul ministers to Crete because he already ministered there. There's a church there. But he can't con- continue on in, in his work because he's been taken to Rome. So what does he do? He tasks Titus with the same exact job that Timothy did it, was doing in Ephesus. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to stay with this church. You be the pastor. You preach. You bring them the word. And then you appoint men as they are qualified. And you bring this church to maturity. That's what Titus does. That's who Titus is. On top of taking letters and taking news around to different places, he's a pastor like Paul. And so Paul gives us this encouragement and he lets us know that at times friends are going to let us down. But don't let that discourage you because there are other friends that will go beyond what your expectation was for them. And that is who we see next. So first, it's not good to be without friends. We need to commit ourselves to establishing and maintaining good godly friendships, relationships. Second, Paul lets us know that friends are useful for our spiritual growth. Bring Mark to me. That's the second command. The first is you come to me. The second is, hey, and when you come, you bring Mark. Neither of you get a choice in the matter. You're coming and he's coming too. And notice, just think about the grace that is represented in this. Think about what we saw in Acts. Think about what happened with Barnabas, Mark, and Paul. Way back when, what most people believe some 20 years before this, that's how long it's been, 20 years. And yet what we see is grace. As we see this, look at verses 11 to 12. Friends are useful for our spiritual growth. For Paul's spiritual growth, he needed the interaction Not only with Timothy, not only with Luke, but with Paul. I'm I'm sorry, but with Mark. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. Only Luke is with me. That's not a negative statement. That's a positive statement. He's saying, faithful Luke, my friend among friends, who's also no doubt my doctor, who followed with Paul and his, really, their missionary posse all over the place. Luke is faithful. Luke is still with them. When so many have abandoned him, Luke is there. But Paul says that's not enough. I want you to. You come, but I want you to bring Mark. Why? And this is so sweet, for he is useful to me for service. That's the same word that we saw earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. When we were listening about not wrangling about words, which is what? Useless or useful. It's the negative side of that word. 
In 2.14, we saw it as this vessel of honor. That, that that vessel would be what? Useful. That's how Mark is described now. How did he get that way? Uncle Barnabas. Right? Barnabas who didn't give up on him. Barnabas who took him on these missionary journeys. And as he went on these missionary journeys, the Lord worked in John Mark's life. Refining him, growing him more and more in godliness until you get to the point to where some 20 years later, as Paul is on his deathbed and he considers all the different people that he could call out and ask Timothy to bring with him to help minister not only to him, but I believe to the church in Rome. Who does he choose? He chooses Mark. This is a story of grace, of somewhat of a restoration. And actually, we, we hear that, that Mark had already joined Paul on several different occasions before this, so the Apostle Paul had saw Mark in action. He knew that he was a faithful man. And we see that, Mark, that Paul doesn't give up on Mark. Mark had gone from being useless in Paul's mind to very useful indeed. Now, although we're not told what ministry that Mark was going to be doing. We know that what follows since he sends Tychicus from Rome to Ephesus, no doubt most likely to bring this letter to Timothy and then take Timothy's place there in Ephesus. Now there's two spots that are vacant, so to speak, in Rome. First, Demas, who was serving in Rome. And now we also have Tychicus, who was serving in Rome. And they're both gone. And so who does Paul want? Paul wants Mark to come. Perhaps to pastor the church in Rome. And just think about this. Within like a month's time, Paul is going to have not only Luke by his side, but he's going to have Timothy and Mark. Two guys that he's hand-picked in order to come and be an encouragement to him. If Paul needs that on his deathbed, don't we need that? Don't we need friendship? Godly friends that will come alongside us and encourage us and at times admonish us, challenge us to keep on keeping on. Look at verse 12. Who is Tychicus? It might surprise you, but Tychicus is mentioned all throughout Scripture many times. And Paul, like he described Demas earlier being a servant of the Lord, in Ephesians 6, 1-2, says that Tychicus was a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. And so Paul sends him to Ephesus. No doubt to encourage the church to tell them what is happening in Rome, but perhaps also to hand deliver this letter. Of all the men that, that Paul chooses, he chooses this man who's right here with him in Rome, for one. But he chooses this man, why? Because he's been faithful. He's been a faithful friend and he's been faithful to the Lord. And he knows that if he entrusts this task to Tychicus, that Tychicus isn't going to not get it done. He's going to get it done. And so what does he do? He sends Tychicus. Isn't it strange that he says that there's only Luke? Well, there's only reason Luke is the only one there is because he's already sent off or he's in the process of sending off Tychicus. That even in that, Paul wasn't thinking purely about himself. 
He's already thinking down the road when he's gone, what's going to happen with this church in Rome? And so he calls upon Tychicus and sends him off. So Paul knew of the value of good friends, not only in his life, but in the lives of others. He recognizes that Tychicus is going to be a blessing to the church in Ephesus, as Timothy is going to be a blessing as well as Mark to the church in Rome, as well as to himself. But look at where he goes next. For after we learned this, that we're to recognize it's not good to be without friends, that friends are useful for spiritual growth, here perhaps might be the a hard one for us to wrap our hands, our heads around this. The Lord should be our closest friend. Bring me my parchments. Remember, the context of all that is being represented here is friendship. It's fellowship. It's Paul desiring for these guys to come and to engage in life with him on his dying deathbed. And in that, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about what he doesn't hold in his hands that he's used to looking at every day and spending time reading. He's thinking about the Word of God. Okay, he's thinking about some poncho-like thing too, but he's thinking more about this, the words and the parchment. Look at what we see in verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak. which was their way of saying a, a poncho, a very warm poncho that you could use. It had just one hole that you put over your head. You, you could use it as a, as a coat or you could use it as a blanket. Some even used it as almost like a bed. Some believe that the reason why he mentions this is because Luke has been looking after him and he's sick. And he might not make it through the winter if he doesn't get his cloak. Recognize too that in this, why didn't the church in Rome just go buy him a cloak? Why didn't somebody just give him a cloak from the church? It shows you the poverty strickenness of the church at that time. That he had only one cloak and it was eons, miles and miles away, and yet he had to call for that cloak. We are so blessed, are we not? With all that we have. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus. Look, there's another friend. Who do you entrust your cloak this precious cloak that you only have one of, and even more importantly, who do, you, who do you entrust your books, especially the parchments to? Just some guy off the street? No, this is a friend. This is someone who, again, we, we don't know anything about him. And yet he was a faithful friend who Paul must have been staying with in Troas. Most likely what happened was they nabbed Paul before he could get back to Carpus's house. So he didn't have his, his cloak on him, no doubt because it was summer and warmer. But then he also didn't have his Bible. That's what words mean. The first one is talking about the papyrus. What they would use for leaves from a plant and then they'd put the Bible on there and then it was Old Testament portions of the Scripture. There's lots of debate on exactly what the parchments are. Most believe that it's Egyptian papyrus or I'm sorry animal skin that's different from the what the Egyptians used from these leaves from a plant these were taken from the skins of animals and then they were dried out 
and then they were much more durable than papyrus, and then you could actually rewrite on them. And so most believe that this probably included the letters that Paul had written, as well as blank ones that he wanted to use to write to folks in his dying days. In either case, what is being represented here is that Paul wants to hear from the Lord. That Paul wants to spend time in the Word. And do we all recognize this morning that what the Lord has brought us to in saving us is a relationship with Him? And a relationship is comprised of two things. Communication, spending time with one another, right? How do you become friends with me if you don't spend any time with me? How do you become deeper and deeper in your relationship with the Lord, more and more mature, if you don't spend any time in His Word? Getting to know Him more and more because this is how He has revealed Himself to us. And then what's coupled with that? Prayer. Spending time in prayer. Speaking to the Lord. What does your prayer life look like? Is it constant? And, and when you speak to the Lord, how do you speak to the Lord? Is it a free-flowing conversation? Is it something one place and then something entirely different in another? Is it just words? Do you have a time where you're spending, where, where you just stop and you are, like Paul, I'm sorry, like David in the Psalms, you are just pouring your heart out before the Lord. That's what is being represented here in Paul's heart to want to have these books, this, these parchments, God's word brought to him. This is not an easy task. Remember, they, they don't have UPS, they don't have Amazon that you can just put this in a box and send it and it'll come to him. They're, they're having to carry these all the way. Paul's asking a lot, but he recognizes, man, what is of utmost significance is my relationship with the Lord and that is, what, is of what utmost significance for us is as well. Our relationships with the Lord. Are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? Do you consider him a friend? Oh yes, by all means, let us not forget that he is our Savior. He is our holy, righteous God. And, and we must have respect and adoration for him. But what about this aspect? Do you think I'm off? Is this biblical? Do we see anywhere in Scripture where when someone gets saved or somebody has a relationship with God that they're considered his friend? How about Moses? Exodus 33, 11. Do, do you know what it says? It, it says this, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Is that challenging to you? Please, I, I don't, I want us to have balance because you can be so friend-like with the Lord that, that, that you're not reverent. I, I don't want you to come to the Word and just think, oh, this is only a love letter, that this isn't doctrine, that this isn't theology, because it is. But it is also a love letter that He's given to us, right? So that we might know Him, so that we might love Him and love others. And I believe that that's what's behind what Paul is saying here. And think about it. This, again, would have been so easy for him to just say, eh, you know what? Those guys will do something good with the word. I'll just trust Carpus. 
you know, I'm sure he'll find a good place to entrust what I've given to him. But instead, he doesn't do that. Perhaps it's threefold instead of just twofold, just for the spiritual well-being of Paul and his own growth and his relationship with Jesus, that Jesus would indeed be his closest and dearest friend as he pours himself into the word. But perhaps it goes to what's going to follow, right? Because Paul is leaving. He knows that his departure is soon. And he's on site now in Rome, so to speak. He knows how the church is functioning. He can tell by the way that they're coming to him and the interaction that he has with them. And do you know what he knows that they need more than anything else? This. Because this is what he's all about. This is what he's given everywhere that he goes to everyone that he meets. The word. So could it be that Paul was recognizing, okay, for now I'm going to drink this in. And I can't wait to get my, my word back, those scrolls, and I can't wait to pour into them again and remind myself of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's righteousness, God's grace. But then when I'm gone, hey, I'm going to tell you, Mark, you use my word, you teach this church. You preach the, the gospel. You let them know that there is no other way but through Jesus Christ. And perhaps he said to him, hey, take all of my writings and spread them out. So the Lord should be our closest friend. The question is, is he? Is your relationship deeper than it was last year because of the time that you've spent with him? Do you have a a time each day where you just spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ? So it's not good to be without friends. Friends are useful for our spiritual growth. The Lord should be our closest friend. And finally, Timothy, you have to get this. All of us need to get this. The world is not, no matter what you think, no matter what they say, the world is not our friend. That's where he goes last. And he, and he gives us this example, again, of somebody that we, there's hardly anything written about this Alexander guy. But what we do know about him, he's bad. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. But you, Timothy, be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. The world will not be our friend. That's going to become more and more clear. It's it's becoming more and more clear, is it not? The more that we stand for truth, the more the world says no. I don't like that. I don't know what that is even about. In fact, I don't like you and anything to do with you. And so as Paul is wrapping everything out up and as he And he gives them all these depictions of all of these friends and and even Demas and how he's abandoned him and deserted him and, and left him. He finishes everything up with the reality that this world is not a friendly place for believers. So don't be surprised. So don't be surprised when suffering comes at the hands of those who might have pretended like they were your friend. Don't be surprised when 
Somebody comes after you for what you what believe. Notice what he's going after Paul about. He's not going after him physically. It doesn't even look like it's socially or economically motivated. As we could say it was like in Acts, in Philippi or, or, or wherever, where it was a money-making venture and then Paul released this demon from this woman and so then her owners got all upset, turned everything upside down. No, listen to what he's going after. He vigorously opposed our teaching. He's against Christ. That's what he's against because that's all that Paul preached was Christ. So he's saying what we're totally for, he is totally against. And recognize this, Timothy. He came after me, he's going to come after you. We don't know if that means that he's in Ephesus or if that means that he's in Rome or if that means that he's halfway in between. We're not told. All that we're told from the Apostle Paul is recognize, be on guard that there is a roaring lion out there ready to attack. And he has many, many subjects that follow him that they don't even know that they're playing on his team. Others do. But notice Paul's perspective. He, he doesn't give Timothy a, an action plan that says something like, okay, so when he comes after you, I've already talked to this magistrate over here, and he's on our side. So all you have to do is, is, is when this coppersmith, this Alexander guy, comes after you, you go talk to him. I've worked it all out. He'll be put in jail. You'll get all this money. Da, da. No, he doesn't say anything about that. What does he say? He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Remember what he just said in verse 8? In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Hey, I know what's waiting for me. Timothy, you should know what's waiting for you. It's that, that reward, that crown of righteousness and all that the Lord will give us because what we have done has been done in His power and His strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then at that point, we will receive those, those crowns, those jewels, and, and we will give them to the Lord. I know what's waiting for me, but you know what else, Timothy? I know what's waiting for Alexander the coppersmith. Because I know that our God is faithful, he is righteous, he is holy, he is a God of wrath. He is just, and he will not let any sin go unpunished. We know that from all of Scripture, we know that from all of history, the history of mankind since the beginning, that everyone is storing up wrath for themselves with their sins if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. If they have no scapegoat. If they have no one who will take their place. If they have no substitute. The question for us all this morning is what is waiting for you? What will that repayment look like for you in the future. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that means that looks like an eternity 
separated from God in eternal torment, bearing the wrath of God. But, and this is the most beautiful but ever, but if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the greatest exchange ever has happened. And that rightful, sinful punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, was placed upon Christ on the cross. And he bore that sin, that sinful passion, that wrath of God that was poured out on him. He bore that so that I wouldn't have to. So that all those who believe in him wouldn't have to. The question is, have you believed? Have you repented? Have you recognized that you are a sinner just like me? Just like all of us this morning? Just like Paul? Oh, we see it. Oh, just like Mark? Just like Demas? Hey, whoever you see and identify yourself with, they were a sinner just like you, just like me. The amazing thing, just as we can see so clearly with Mark, is that God's grace changes everything. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? I plead with you this morning, if, if you haven't and you want to talk, please come and see me or one of the, the pastors or elders. Listen to this, and I'll, I'll close with this. Psalm 61.13, Strength is God's. And mercy is yours, Lord, because you repay each one according to his deeds. There, there is coming a time where all deeds will, all sinful actions, even thoughts, will be held accountable. Justice will be served. The question is, what have you done with the Lord Jesus Christ? For he is the only one that can stand in the gap for you so that you don't have to bear that punishment, that pain, that suffering, that agony that the Lord Jesus Christ did. And you can join us forever in eternity with God through Jesus Christ believing in him. Amen? Some points to ponder. Just think of this. Consider all the names mentioned in verses 9 to 15. I believe there's eight. Do you value godly friendships like Paul did? In order for him to have this many friendships, he must have been intentional about building these friendships. How about you? Do you thank God for your friends? We know elsewhere that Paul says that he prayed all the times, and then he tells us who he prayed for. Do you thank God for the friends that the Lord has given you? Do you make them a priority? And number two, it's even more significantly, consider how Paul wanted his parchments, which for him was his Bible. How much are you growing in your friendship or relationship with Jesus because of your time in his word? Does it look any different this year than it did, say, last year? Are you growing in that relationship with him? as you do with your friends, getting to know them more and more and more. Why? Because that makes you deeper and deeper friends, greater and greater friends. Because they know you, you know them. And that only happens as we spend time in the Word and as we spend time in prayer. And the Lord can also use our relationships with one another 
to give us a picture of what that love looks like and how we can then love the way that Christ loves, love one another that way. Let me close us in prayer as, as Brad and Claire and Andrew come up and thank you guys so much for, for helping this morning with, with worship. Heavenly Father, it is so good to open your word and to be reminded of your many, many blessings to us. You are such a good, gracious, and loving God. Thank you for giving us friends. Thank you for blessing us with friends, Lord. Lord, I I pray for any in this body who, who might be lacking some friends, and they've been listening to this message this morning. There's a a little pain in their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would use our body as a pool for friendships, Lord. That you would kindle friendships through our body, through this body of Rancho Baptist Church, and that they would be friendships that are godly friendships centered upon you, based on your grace, centered in your word, flowing from our relationship our friendship with you, Lord, and I I thank you that you are not just our Savior. You're not just our King, which you are. You are not just the sovereign Lord over all which you are, but incredibly beyond our imagination and true understanding, Lord, you are our friend. And one day, like the Apostle Paul, we will see you. And we will be able to speak to you just as you Talk about Moses and how you spoke to him. We will speak to you truly, not through the mouth of faith, not through the eyes of faith, but through the the mouth and the eyes of reality and see you in the flesh and behold you, behold your scars and we will be able to enjoy friendship with you throughout all of eternity and say thank you over and over and over again for what a great God that you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.